Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. But the reality is that this is kind of a luxury. We're lucky to be able to electively suffer like this. Cedar right? And the weather turns. It gets dark, it gets gray. There are clouds rolling over the, over the pass. Mm -hmm. I'm like, holy smoke. So we put on our jackets and uh, we keep going. I mean, we're, we're, we're about a half a mile from the top and all of a sudden it, it, uh, it, it starts raining. And the wind is blowing like 35 miles an hour. So the wind is whipping, you know, you got your hood on uh, from your jacket. It's, it's flapping in your face. You can't feel your hands. I don't think I had gloves that trip. I couldn't feel my hands on my poles. It was like painful. Uh, it was so cold, it was painful. And we're looking at each other half mile from the top and we're thinking, holy smokes, what, what have we gotten ourselves into? This is crazy. I'm Doc and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. So, welcome back to another week on the trail, Dirt Bags and Hiker Trash. I'm Lupin, and this is the John Frickin' Muir Pod. So, I'm a new intern to the John Frickin' Muir Pod, which means our lovely host, Doc, has increased the staff size from one to two. And today, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. Doc, who's usually on this side of the interview, is going to be the one getting interviewed. So, let's start off with a minder, though. If you're enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Welcome to the other side of the podcast, Doc. How's it going? Oh, this is really strange. You know, just yeah. sitting here and, and listening to you go through the intro, uh, something that I usually do, it's uh, really, it's a, it's a different experience, but I, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. How are you feeling? Are you nervous at all? 
I'm a little nervous, but mostly excited. I was wondering if you had any nerves being the person that's going to be talking about himself and all the amazing adventures that he's done and, and being on this side of it, you know, talking about you instead of listening to the other person. Yeah. So at first, you know, as I was thinking about this today, I was kind of just really relaxed. Okay. You know, the pressure's off of me. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, talk and have fun. But then as we get closer and closer to the interview, then I'm worried Am I going to be interesting enough? And in fact, Mrs. Doc reinforced that phobia with me as I as I came upstairs to the studio. She says, "Well, I hope I hope you're interesting," which you know that uh, kind of took a little wind out of my sails. But we'll, we'll we'll see what we can do here. Well, I love that that's her response to you as a person who's probably been married to you for a long time. I would think she's interested in you to a certain extent, and I bet the listeners are too because. You know, I feel you're you're the voice behind the podcast. You're the person that people hear every single day of the week. Yet, like we hear about you only in snippets when you respond to people, or like in older episodes when you've talked about some of the things you've done with some of your friends. So I feel like one good way to start off with it then is just what is Doc? Who is Doc? And where did the trail name come from? How long ago did you get it? Yeah, so I you know I wish I had an amazing story. There should be an amazing story behind every trail name, and unfortunately, it's not really that exciting. Uh, I do have my doctorate from UCLA, so go Bruins! So I know that you, both you and I are uh, are UCLA students or former UCLA students. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's totally news to me. Yep. So got my doctorate, and when we hit the trail for the first time in 2015, um, you know, we had talked about you know, uh, with. with uh, Chopper and Buddy before they were Chopper and Buddy, you know, we had talked about this whole phenomenon of of trail names, and for whatever reason, they just you know took to calling me Doc. I don't. There's not a particular story. It's just that you know, I have a doctorate. So yeah. So you're the uh, ones with the brains on the trail. If there's ever an issue, what what did you get it in? I got it in educational leadership. So I was a I was an English teacher and a, a high school administrator, assistant principal and principal for a couple of decades, and now I'm at the, at the district office of my district. And, you know, I do have a funny story, you know, when I was assistant principal, you know, I was, I was, had doctor in front of my title and in front of my name and uh, I was dealing with a student Mm -hmm. who was, he was a little bit off his game. I'm not sure what he was, what he was doing, but he ended up in the office and we were talking and he saw, he saw my title and he says, oh man, I didn't, I didn't realize you were a doctor. I mean, do you like you surgery and he was completely serious you know his only experience with doctors was was medical doctors and i i said without missing a beat no they they don't let me uh, handle sharp instruments and he thought about that for a second and he said oh so just like you know band-aids and stuff i said yes that's correct just band-aids just band-aids if you ever if you ever get a cut on your leg you come to me and i'm the new nurse but a doctor at the same time that's right yeah, I'm almost tempted to call you Dr. Doc now. I kind of, the ring of it is sort of fun in a way, but we'll just stick with Doc then. Okay. Um, so I'm a little bit curious as well about, I guess we've talked about this before, but how did you start the podcast? Like, why did you start the podcast? Where did the idea come from and how did it form into what it is today? So it was in January of 2020, a couple of months before the pandemic, and I was driving downtown to a, a meeting for work. And I was stuck in LA traffic, of course. Mm-hmm. And I was, as I was stuck in gridlock, I was looking out the window and saw the saw the mountains in the distance. And that, of course, led me to think about, you know, my my previous trips and, you know, what am I doing stuck in traffic here? I should be out, you know, on a trail somewhere. And I started thinking about, you know, what, what how can I how can I stay connected? What can I do to to 
you know, keep that connection going on a regular basis. So it's not just a, a summer thing. And my son and two of his friends had, had started a podcast, which is now defunct after about four episodes, but it was kind of like a sports podcast and they thought they were really, you know, funny Mm -hmm. and uh, interesting. And I guess, you know, it kind of tapered off pretty quickly, but I, you know, at that time they were, they were big into it. They're getting it off the ground. And I thought, you know, why not, why not like a, an outdoor adventure podcast? Why not a hiking podcast? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many hiking podcasts are out there? Of course, now I know there's a lot of hiking podcasts yeah. out there, but you know, that didn't stop me at the time from just kind of uh, getting the creative juices flowing and uh, putting it together. So did a little research and, and got started and it kind of evolved from there. Was it hard at first for you, like figuring out what you needed to do and the the things like how did it start? Was it just you and your iPhone, you know, recording some of your friends who are also fellow through hikers or just backpackers or or was it like, yeah, I'm buying a microphone. I'm, I'm going to do all of this stuff. Like we're going to make this as professional as we can, even from the beginning. Well, professional says that it's just you and it has been you until very recently, which is pretty awesome. But Oh, thank you. No, at the, at the beginning, you know, I'm almost embarrassed of some of my early episodes, but I, I, th- I, I kind of rationalize it to myself and I say, you know what, the listeners will have fun listening to the early episodes and just seeing how the, the podcast evolved because, you know, I got, I got one of those handheld recorders mm-hmm. um, and, you know, started off interviewing, you know, Chopper and Buddy and maybe some other people that I, that I, that I got on hikes with. And then I, I started trying to tell some stories. You know, I told the story of Norman Clyde. Um, I, I did some other stuff about the the um, High Sierra trips by the Sierra Club, the high trips by the Sierra Club. That was pretty interesting. And it was, you know, it was difficult. It, it's time consuming mm-hmm. putting content like that together. You know, you, if you're going to script out an entire episode that, that goes for, you know, 45 minutes, an hour, that's a lot of writing. That's a lot of material to come up with. And so at some point I stumbled across um, uh this other format where I would interview people. And actually it's a really cool story. I had just, I was in the middle of reading the last Englishman by Keith Foskett and it was sitting on my nightstand and I happened to, to be looking at Twitter. I think I was on, I was on Twitter and you know how Twitter will make recommendations for who to follow. Yes. Yes. Right. And oh, so Twitter. I do know that they do that. Yeah. Yes. They do that recommend who to follow. And there, right in front of me, as I'm standing next to the nightstand in this book, is it, it recommends Keith Foskett. You should follow Keith Foskett. And I, you know, it's just total, total randomness. I mean, the universe was speaking to me, I think. And so I followed him and I reached out to him. I said, hey, I'm reading your book. I've got this outdoor adventure podcast. I'd love to have you come on. And he came on and it was just two hours of, uh, I think as he characterized, it was like two, two guys sitting in a pub. Uh, with a beer, just talking about stuff. And mm-hmm. that was, it It was a lot of fun. And I, and at that point I decided, you know what, I think I can get more, more bang for my buck and more, more bang for the listeners bucks uh, by doing some, maybe some interviewing with, with people who are interesting, who are doing some pretty exciting things out there. And we only, we don't only get to, don't only get to hear about their adventures outside, but we also get to hear some of, you know, the stories behind the people, kind of human interest type stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it worked really well because that's the format that you've stuck to today, right? Like it's mostly interview based. And I I know that I love listening to all the people that we've had on the show. And 
they're always really exciting. And it's it's a great to like hear them and see them in a different light. And hopefully that's what we're going to do today with you. Like get to hear a little bit more behind the doc. That's just the voice interviewing. And then the doc and you've done some like really amazing adventures and really amazing backpacking in your time. And so it, I'm excited to hear about all the different things that you've done and like what experiences you've learned from them. Well, there's definitely some some type two fun out there that we can talk about tonight. Yes, yes. All that type two fun. Maybe some type three. I always think those are really interesting stories as well. The so little... let's go let's go through the types of fun real quick. Type one fun, my understanding is you have fun while you're doing it, but you don't really talk about it afterwards. Yeah. It's just sort of like the fun that is fun. You know, it's like, oh yeah, most people would find this fun. So like let's say a short hike to a beautiful lake. Like not that difficult but really really beautiful and stunning at the same time so mm-hmm. i feel like that's sort of type one fun yeah. yeah type two fun is you're not having fun when it happens but you find yourself talking about it all the time to people anybody you can find who will listen you're going to tell them this story about what happened to you exactly what i think i like to call sometimes is the suffer fest so you're suffering for a lot of it but at the same time i feel like it's like what most backpackers through hikers do you know it's a little bit of suffering you're not fully comfortable you're you're pooping in the woods and sleeping on pads or on the dirt ground but it's also something that you keep on doing and you keep on going back to because you enjoy it a lot that's right and what is your definition of type three fun type three is that was an experience that was really interesting and exciting i am never doing it again (laughs) that that's my definition of type three fun it's the fun that's like wow, this is something I'm going to be talking about for the rest of my life, but I don't think I'm going to be doing it anytime okay, soon. Okay, so, so type two fun, you would do again, but type three fun is like, that's it, one one and done. Yeah, exactly. Is that the Got same it. for you? Well, somebody had explained it to me that type three fun was you didn't have fun doing it and you don't talk about it a lot, which in, in my book would be, you know, I'm not sure that qualifies as fun. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. I think I was, because I learned about the type system very recently my friends are and I were on a climbing trip and we were talking about like what type of climbing was type one type two type three and I think one of my friends said something along the lines of yeah like you didn't enjoy enjoy it while you did it and you're not going to do it again so type three fun I guess but still an experience so that's fun no way some you learn something from it which is you hate it and you're never doing it again so yeah I think that's those are the types of fun. So let's, I hope we can get into some of the type one, type two, and maybe even type three fun of things. Okay. Like this. Well, this definitely is type-, type two. Maybe, maybe some type three in there. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think this is usually the time, I guess we were talking about this before where like, if we want to explain to the listeners a little bit too, about how you usually go about making the podcast. So right around this time, usually you would, there'd be pro tip inside of the week and you would play the recording of your daughter and everything um so like do you just have buttons set up where the audio recording is there and you just like press it and and then that's played over the loudspeaker like how how does that work exactly yeah i thought the pressure was off me i don't have to push the buttons tonight because you're the host are you, are you pushing buttons tonight i i don't have the buttons sadly. you don't have the buttons i don't have the buttons but i wanted to i thought it'd be interesting to keep it consistent while also i don't know as a person who's an audiophile and who loves learning about how these podcasts are sort of made 
I thought it'd be interesting to have you still do the manual labor for me. Sorry, but also explain a little bit about it. But that I don't know. Maybe hopefully the other listeners also find that interesting. Yeah. So about this time of the episode, I'd be telling, I'd be asking the listener if they've listened to the podcast before that we've got a segment called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. Don't be surprised. Kind of explain a little bit about that. You don't need to do that because I obviously I know about the the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. But now is the time where I would push the button on my Task Cam uh, Mini Studio soundboard and you would hear the must bring gear review the must bring gear review uh vocalized by a half calf my youngest daughter who's now a fourth grade teacher uh but she uh she she, she got involved in the podcast she was supposed to be my, my social media director but you know i i do all the social media for 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 better or worse there but uh, her her last contribution was to to vocalize these little segment headings Mm-hmm. I, I was like curious how how did your family as a whole react when you're like I'm gonna make this podcast and then it turned into a super big hobby for you right like this is something that you pretty consistently like you have interviews once maybe twice a week that you're interviewing people unless you're you're busy and doing other things like how did your family react and how did it feel to have this become such a big part of your life yeah, I think at first when I told them I was going to do a podcast, they're like, oh, okay, dad's doing a podcast. Yeah, sure. Yeah, have fun with that. Good good luck. And then, you know, as I tell them, you know, how many downloads there are, and I share with them the reviews that I get on Apple Podcasts and uh, share some of the people um, and the stories that, that are shared with me, I think they've gotten a little more involved and, and interested and, and supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think at first they thought, oh, this is just going to be some some transitory hobby that's not going to last too long. He'll be on to something else pretty soon. But uh, it's been a lot of fun, and it's you know it's a, it's a great creative outlet. That's another mm-hmm. thing I should have said that I think I think everybody needs some kind of um, outlet for their whatever they're passionate about. And so this is you know I was an English teacher, um, I was a writing major in college, so this you know this allows me to get back into that a little bit, you know, write up the episode outlines, uh, try and be creative with, you know, the angles that I take, the questions mm-hmm. that I ask. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different way. It's interesting to me how podcasts have become a really new creative outlet, you know, just like how your son decided, yeah, I'm going to make a podcast with like three of my friends. It's, it's cool how audio has turned into a new creative form, which I don't think was really popular until probably like the early 2010s or so when a lot of these big podcasts are popping up. And now it's a really large part of people's day-to-day lives where, you know, people can listen to this, like while even they're hiking on the trail, they'll be listening to a person talking about hiking while they're hiking. And I don't, I don't necessarily know if that's something that was super common a long time ago, but um, there I go again with the long time ago. But I guess <laughs> to explain to the listeners a little bit for people who don't know very much about the um, the review, the gear review, uh, I'm going to read the little snippet. So another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the ultralight backpacking gear company Six Moon Designs. Here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you insist on being packed? And if you got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Doc, what is your must bring piece of gear? Okay. So I'm I'm going to say that I could pretty, I could put up with pretty much generic gear, but one thing that has come in handy more times than not has been a supply of duct tape. Oh, 
Interesting. I think How, duct, what, tape, what? duct mm-hmm. tape can solve a lot of problems for you out there. You know, if you have a, a rip in your tent or your sleeping pad or sleeping bag, or if your shoe starts to fall apart, which uh, happened to me back on the, the John Muir Trail in 2021, if you have some duct tape, you can help uh, fix that until you get into a, a place where you can either, you know, repair it properly or replace it. And so Ooh. duct tape came in real handy when we were at Dollar Lake uh, heading southbound on the, the, the John Muir trail. And my, my shoe really was just falling apart. The front of my uh, trail runner was coming apart. And so I had several feet of duct tape wrapped around my water bottle and was able to remove that from the water bottle and put it on the shoe. And it got me through to Whitney portal. So. Wow. so is that how you do it? Then you, you get like your Nalgene or smart water bottle, whatever you're using, and you just duct tape over it over and over and over and over again. Yeah. You just go around, you just go around, you know, the bottom, the, you know, the bottom portion of the bottle do uh, do that six or seven times. And you've got your, your handy repair kit right there. Is there ever enough duct tape or can you always have more? Uh, you know what? I would recommend that a couple of people in your, in your hiking party do the same thing because my shoe repair that, ex- that extinguished the entire amount of duct tape that I had, that I had brought on the trip. So if something else would have come up, I would have been out of luck, but <laughs> multiple people follow that tip. Uh, I think it's uh that's a good, some good advice. Got it. Anything creative that you've done with the duct tape while you've been out there, like shoe repairs or anything? I don't know. I feel like duct tape is such a versatile thing. I, there must be something odd that you've done with it before. Yeah, really only two major repairs that we've had to do out there. One was my shoe. Uh, and then earlier on another trip, uh, I think Chopper broke his the top part of his hiking pole, the handle. I think he mm-hmm. fell in the water or went down and uh, kind of broke the top. And we used duct tape to kind of hold that together for, for the rest of the trip. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that is a good pro tip. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep that in mind then. I usually only bring about like maybe a foot of duct tape or something like that, that I roll around a, a toothpick, but it seems more useful if you were able to save your shoe for an entire, how many miles was that in the end? I got another, what, 60 miles off of that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That, that is a lot. That's a good yeah. amount. Duct tape's a lifesaver that good to yeah. know. No, never thought of it in that way before. Kentucky um, Chrome. What? Kentucky Chrome. It's another name for duct tape. Kentucky really? Chrome. Really? Yeah, I think it's, it may be a disparaging remark for those people in Kentucky. So Jeremiah Stringer, don't uh, don't take that personal. That's just, you know, or maybe it's a badge of honor. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of that before, but it's because duct tape's gray. So the, the chrome comes from that. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. okay, that makes sense then. Well, from Doc himself, bring duct tape on the trail and bring as much as you can, because you never know when you'll have to tape a shoe or a hiking pole. Hiking poles, I have noticed, they do break pretty often. A lot of my friends have had issues because they're they're kind of delicate, especially when you're going up hard passes and really relying on them a lot. I have not broken a hiking pole. Nope. No, they might have held up pretty good. Yeah, okay, great. Yep. Sorry, my audio cut out for a few seconds. Um, okay, next is the hiking pole. And oh, usually- Oh, wait, wait, you, you, get, you have to tell me to push the button. Right, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please, please push the button for me. Okay, I'm pushing the button. It's the hiking pole. Okay, next we're moving on to the hiking pole. And usually you've been saying to me that the scores you've been giving to people um, have been a little bit high. I don't think I'm going to give you a score in general because I think you're pretty crazy for 
for doing all of this in your free time just for fun. Um, but the hiking pools, then I'm just going to ask you a few questions. Some questions are a bit controversial. We'll see what your answers are and maybe with a line, maybe they won't. But I think the first one, which is interesting for hikers and backpackers, because there's a lot of peanut butter on the trail. And I've always wondered how people who have peanut allergies deal with this. But what is your preference, peanut butter or Nutella? Well, I can tell you that up until this point, I've I've been peanut butter, but I get sick of peanut butter out there. You know, you can only have so much peanut butter. I know, I know there's some people out there will carry a jar and just eat through the whole jar. I think Jeff Garmeyer, uh, legend, he he said that he he made his way through a jar of pe- peanut butter, and yeah, I, I I don't know, I just couldn't do that because if you if you have too much of one thing out there, I think it just it ruins it for you. And so I'm a little bit uh, wary of peanut butter these days just because of my experiences on the trail with it. Uh, I'd be willing to try Nutella. Yeah. I mean, I think Nutella is something maybe it might, I might go a little bit longer before I get sick of it. Mm-hmm. Nutella is pretty, pretty darn good. Nutella is great. I, I really enjoy it. And, you know, maybe you're being nicer to the people who have peanut allergies because Nutella is made out of hazelnuts. So that's one thing. But I, I've always wondered too, what do you think about everything being peanut butter flavored like granola bars trail mix peanut butter itself a lot of outdoorsy food is peanut butter oriented so do you try to diversify your food usually when you're on the trail or is it like you have a lot of peanut butter just spread throughout you know unfortunately or fortunately depending which side of the fence you're on i I do a lot of peanut butter peanut butter flavored things i think that first trip back in 2015 i brought a king size payday bar uh for lunch every day. And I have not had another payday bar since 2015. It just, mm-hmm. it ruined them for me. I can't even think of eating a payday bar. And I but think, that, I think that. it has a bit of peanut butter, I don't know, texture or taste to it, but uh, you know, too much of a good thing just ruins the good thing. Mm-hmm. So maybe next time then the goal is switching to Nutella for both of us. We're going to have to transplant transplant all of our peanut butter flavored things, chocolate hazelnut now instead. Promise that that's a deal. Okay. Okay. The next thing is, do you eat or drink soup? So I think the, the distinction here, the subtlety is whether or not there is silverware involved. I think if you're using a spoon, then you're eating soup. But I think if you're just if you're drinking out of a container, then you're you're drinking soup. So I think I think it all depends on whether or not you have a utensil. And typically, I mean, if we're not talking about hiking, if we're just talking about real life, I, I typically eat soup. Okay, so even if the soup is just broth, there's nothing in it. Just by using the spoon itself, it is eating the soup. That is that that is the technicality for me. Yes. Do you think there's ever a context then where you're like, I really want to drink this soup. So there's no utensils involved or is it usually you're usually using a spoon? I think I've found myself in certain restaurants where, you know, there's been soup that that is served and there's, you know, no utensils on on the table. So in that case, I drank my soup. Don't ask for a spoon. Just drink the soup instead. That's right. That's right. That's good to know. Especially that that is probably more common at Chinese restaurants. Uh, miso soup. I have I have I have drank drunk drank i'm an english teacher uh i i've consumed a lot of miso soup without silverware yeah yeah and miso soup miso soup is japanese and it's it usually there's yeah. fufu in it 
So yeah, thank you, Japanese, Japanese. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So moving, keeping with the theme of utensils, apparently, what spoons, forks, knives, or sporks? What's your preference? Okay. So do I have to pick one of these to only use to eat like for the rest of my life? Or yeah. is this what I prefer on the trail or? Just whatever you think is most convenient. Like what is the thing that you would use if you had to use one thing for the rest of your life to consume your food? Not for utility sake. Well, it'd probably be frowned upon in most households and restaurants because I never see them out there. But you know, you can't go wrong with a good spork. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we carry out on the on the trail. It's a it's a universal utensil that can be used for for more than one type of food. Yeah, it's really convenient, especially those long handle ones. I don't have one. I always bring like a fork and spoon because I'm lazy. But those long handle sporks are are quite useful for consuming all types of food. Mm-hmm. You like the long handle because then your fingers don't get dirty as you're digging into the dehydrated dehydrated food bag. Yes, those are those are always fun. They're always tall, tall enough where if you use a normal one, your hand gets covered and all of it. Yeah. But some of my friends, it's like we call it an after snack. So you have your main meal and then you eat your your you lick your fingers afterwards. So it's a little bit of an after snack. After snack, nice. But hopefully, hopefully we'll see you out there at restaurants eating with sporks then. I think that's always a good conversation starter, maybe. Yeah, maybe from this from this point on, from this interview on, you know, I, I will bring my own spork to restaurants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, and you'll be eating your soup for the rest of your life then. You never have to worry about not having a spoon at a restaurant. True. Okay. So the next question is, how do you pronounce GIF? That is a hard G. It's GIF. It's GIF? GIF. Yeah. GIF is a peanut butter. GIF is the, the little picture video thing. Okay. Does that come from your doctorate English teaching side? Or is that just a this is what I believe sort of thing? I'm pretty sure they didn't cover this in any class I ever took. Um, so this is just what I think. Preference. Yep. Preference. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if you say, if you say GIF, I'm back to that first question of, you know, is it peanut butter or Nutella? <laughs> so uh, it's, it's definitely GIF in my mind. We're sticking with GIF then. We're sticking with yeah. GIF. I mean, if you oh. add a T, if you add a T to that, how do you pronounce that? A That's T true. at the end. You, you pronounce it gift. It's gift. It's gift. Yeah. So. Yeah. I agree. I do not like the the is it a soft g soft j sometimes it's spelled with a j gif gif just sounds reminds me of peanut butter and those are very two very very different things yep. um this is a little bit of i was watching twilight recently which is why this came into my brain but werewolves are vampires werewolves are vampires and what what do you mean by that question if i if i had to be one if which one am i more afraid of which uh, type of movie do i prefer more just in all contexts, which ones are better? Werewolves or vampires? If you could be one, if if you're watching them, are there different answers for which for each of those specific questions, or is one just generally superior over the other? So I think I think vampires are a bit creepier, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, subsisting by drinking somebody else's blood—that's uh, that's a little unpleasant. Um, I think I think werewolves kind of are a bit tougher, more uh, badass. If I can say that on this podcast, is that is that acceptable? Uh, uh, it, it's acceptable to me. Cursing, okay. cursing, fun. At least in my dictionary. Okay, we'll keep it PG thirteen. I think badass kind of uh, stays PG thirteen there. Yeah. I think I think you know a werewolf would be more impressive 
than a than a vampire. So I'm gonna go with werewolf. Werewolf. Would you also want to be a werewolf instead then? If I had to be one of those two, I'd rather be a werewolf, yeah. Okay. Werewolves werewolves are pretty cool. The shape shifting in the full moon has always been an interesting concept to me. Mm-hmm. Looking at well, it's a lot of hair. So I guess you would have a lot of hair. That'd be kind of fun as well. Well, at least, you know, for part of the month. Mm-hmm. Part of the month, that's true. Yeah. Uh do you use the Oxford comma? Yes, the the lack of use of the Oxford comma has led to a serious decline in society. Uh, mm-hmm. It's gone downhill since people have decided that, oh, it's optional. It's not optional. Use the Oxford comma. It's there for a reason. When have you seen it at its worst? Like when has it just been the complete demise of society when the Oxford comma has been left out? I was an English teacher in the 90s, a high school English teacher in the 90s. It, it started going downhill from there. Ooh. Okay, I would so inherit. I would inherit other. Uh, the, the kids would come up from tenth grade into my eleventh grade class, and they'd have no use of the Oxford comma because their tenth grade teacher did not, you know, do a good good enough job. So back was in the nineties, it, it just started to decline. Was it pre nineties that the Oxford comma was still the basis? That was the most common thing, and then only after this 10th grade teacher decided like we're not doing it anymore that everything went downhill or was the debate always alive and well no i think i think it was a pretty common doctrine that the oxford comma was you know the way to go i think that's probably what you found in most style guides mm-hmm. and uh you know you go through the 50s and the 60s and the 70s is pretty pretty uh well established and then something happened yeah and- i guess can you i not everyone knows what the oxford comma is so can you explain in your best doc teacher voice uh what is the oxford comma and when do you use it and why do we use it yeah so oh you really put me on the spot here but oh, yeah. the, the example i use is in a simple series in a simple series like the flag is red white and blue i've listed three things there red white and blue mm-hmm. how do you separate those with with commas and conjunctions and so red comma that's not the, that's not the Oxford comma, by the way. Red, comma, blue, and then after the word blue, you have and red, blue, and white. And some people say that and is enough to connect the the second and the third term. But the way it has always been prior to this is you have the comma before the end, so it's red, comma, blue, comma, and white. And so it's that second comma in a simple series to to help uh, connect things properly. Okay, so the Oxford comma is necessary always and forever. Absolutely. If you find your life in a decline, if things are not going right for you, it's because you stopped using the Oxford comma at some point. Start using that again and things will get back on track. You'll be okay. Okay, life advice then. Always use the Oxford comma. That is the reason your life is not going the way that you thought it would be. Correct. Okay, and then the final question is, this might take a little bit of explaining, which is, is a slice of pie a taco on its side? Yeah, I'm going to need some help with that one. I looked at that one and I said, how does that work? Other than the fact that they're both kind of triangular. Mm-hmm. So there's this really interesting website that my friend showed me a little while ago. It's called the cube rule. And it's basically how you describe every type of food based on the layers of a cube. So when something is flat, it's just like a pizza or a piece of toast, for example. Everything that is encased in anything else is a calzone. Um, And so the idea is a taco is anything that has 
like it's like a cube that only has three sides, the bottom and then two of the vertical facing sides. And so then the idea is, is a slice of pie, a taco on its side, because if you turn a piece of pie from like flat like this and then turn mm -hmm. it up so that the pointy bit, usually pies cut into slices, so that the pointy bit faces up, is that therefore a taco based on the cube rule? Got it. This also gets to the hot dog question that we've asked before. Yeah. So oh, similar, hot... similar ideas. It's yeah. like, really, if anyone's interested, it's just called the cube rule. If you look it up on Google, it, it gives, I think it gives most people a chuckle because it's a really interesting take on why we name food, certain foods, like everything that isn't contained in something is a salad, for example. So pasta is a type of salad, but it's just like the cube rule.com. If our listeners are interested in looking it up. Okay. You know, I would have said, just looking, just looking at the question before you explained it, I would have said, no, absolutely not. A slice of pie is not a taco on its side, but the way you explained it, I think I would agree that it is because you're not just talking about a, pie, a slice of pie, you know, sitting as it normally would, or even turned on its side. You're talking about it standing straight up with the kind of the outer edge of the pie being on the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I think with that frame of reference, uh, yes, it's just like, just like a taco. That's like a taco. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that all slices of the pies are now taco, at least if we're eating them with our hands and holding them directly to our mouths in that way. That's right. That's right. I'm going to, when we're finished with this interview, I'm going to go downstairs and ask if we have any apple tacos. So. <laughs> that'll be a way, that'll be a way to keep it interesting. I think yeah. that's the way to keep yourself interesting. Call, base all of the food off of the cube rule and confuse everyone in your life by only talking about food in that way. Keep them guessing. Keep them guessing constantly. Mm -hmm. Okay, Doc. Well, I think before we even started the hiking pool, I deemed you were crazy. And based on all your answers still, I think your score is ballpark, let's say, 45. We'll give you a wow. 100. Yeah. 45 out of 100? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of wildness, I think, I, I heard in your answers. Your... um eat or drink soup was definitely interesting. The non-utensil versus utensil was an interesting tidbit that I wasn't necessarily expecting. So we're going to go with a solid 45 on that one. 45. I'm going to get a hat and put that on it. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll put on a hat. That's the new, the new merch we have. We have 45. Mm -hmm. We'll have 45 40, on it. 45. Be like Doc, 45. Be like Doc, 45. Um. Okay. Well, I guess we're going to take a little bit of a break right now then, and then come back. Okay. Yeah. We'll see you on the other side. Hang in there. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long.
Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod- podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Well, welcome back, listeners. We're going to be talking to Doc a little bit of all about all the amazing adventures that he's been on and all the cool things that he's done in his lifetime. Um, I guess the first thing that we can start off with is how did you get into backpacking? And we've also talked about this. How did you get into running? That's been a pretty big part of your life. Yeah. You know, I if you'd asked me 20 years ago, you know, do you like to run? I would have said no. I don't like to run that there's no need to run. This is modern society. There's plenty of ways to get around. You don't need to run. But, um, you know, I was, a, I was a high school athlete and, you know, played some softball as I, as I got older in you know, rec leagues. But other than that, didn't really do a whole lot for exercise. And then my daughter started high school and she joined the cross country team. So I, I would drop her off for cross country practice. And I thought, you know, why, why not uh, give this a try? And so I kind of picked up, and started slow at first, but uh, eventually got, you know, uh, better at going longer distances and eventually ran my first marathon. So that was back in 2010 when I was 43 years old. And then I did my first marathon in 2014. I did the LA marathon, which was quite an experience. So when you first started running then, were you running with your daughter or was it just something that you picked up as a hobby because of her? I th- yeah, I didn't run with her. I just picked it up as a hobby. So they, they you know, the, the, cross country team would go out on their runs and and I'd go the other direction and, uh, you know, do, do a little bit of running and see how it felt. Mm-hmm. How has it felt then? Like on, I know that running is really hard on your knees at time and things like that, but has that never really been an issue for you? So it, it really hasn't until I started training for marathons. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'd like to say that the training program for a marathon where you're running four or five times a week, and some of those runs are getting some of those runs are getting progressively longer until you're doing 18, you know, 20 miles on a Saturday. Um, it was during those portions of um, the training for the marathons where I would have uh, my IT band flare up on, on either my left knee or my right knee. It's happened on both of them, mm-hmm. which became problematic. But um, I kind of changed gears there in the middle of a sentence. I like to say that the training program for a marathon, just completing the full training, uh, training program for a marathon 
mm-hmm. is just as much work, maybe even more impressive than than doing the actual marathon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a I think a 450 mile commitment over the course of three months. You're putting in all that time. Uh, as soon as you finish a run, you're thinking about when you're going to do your next training run. I mean, it's something that occupi- occupies your mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You are just fully immersed in running. And there's something to be said about, you know, just, just that feeling you have that, uh, you know what, I need to go run 16 miles this weekend. And you go out and you do it. I mean, that, that, that says something to your level of fitness and uh, confidence and just how you feel about yourself. So it, yeah. it's got a lot of healthy benefits. And other than, you know, just being good for your, your cardio, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of other great benefits to running. Okay. Uh, what those runs sound really intense, like 450 to 500 miles of running. Uh, did you listen to anything in specific while you were running for hours and hours on day? Or was it just like you and your own thoughts or nothing at all? So I, I kind of, I went through a phase of listening to music when I ran, but I'd be running on the streets, right? Mm-hmm. I'd be running in, in, in neighborhoods on sidewalks. And there were times where someone would be coming up behind me either in a vehicle or on a bike and I wouldn't hear them coming. And then they would, you know, cut in front of me or uh, honk their horn and just scare the, the living daylights out of me. So I, mm-hmm. I really have kind of evolved to, not running with any kind of uh, music going on, just so I can hear what's going on around me, be, be really self-aware and um, kind of, you know, defensive mindset out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Have you, I've, I've heard about this thing with marathon running called the wall, where it's, I think mile 20 or 21, a lot of uh, marathon runners will hit this, this wall where they just have no energy anymore. And they're just pushing and pushing till the end. Uh did you experience that at all or was was that not really an issue for you? Oh, that's absolutely an issue. They say that the first 20 miles of a marathon is the easier half, implying that the last six miles is just as hard, if not harder than the first 20 miles because you know, you're, you've taken a toll on your body if you have not been properly um, eating and drinking during the, that first 20, then you're going to bonk, you're going you're gonna to hit that wall, you're going to have no calories left to burn. And then it's, it's a real struggle. You know, the wheels kind of fall apart, fall off the, fall off the wagon while you're at that last segment of the race. Mm-hmm. And how did it, how did it feel to finish your first marathon, you know, running, like starting running, like not that long ago and then finishing your first marathon. So I finished my first marathon. And, and again, I was, uh, what was I 47 years old when I did my first marathon mm-hmm. and I had never been a a runner, let alone a long distance runner growing up. So you know, I set a goal for five hours. I want to finish the marathon in five hours. And I finished that first marathon and I think it was five hours, eight minutes. And I was really ticked off because as I was running, I think probably mile six or seven, I had to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And there are porta porta potties along along the 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 race course. This is the LA marathon. And mm-hmm. the lines were just so long, just lines of people at, at these porta potties. There's probably you know five or six porta potties at this particular juncture of the race. And so I ducked into a subway, uh, oh. not a subway entrance like 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 New York City, mm-hmm. but a subway sandwich store. Run into yeah. a subway sam- sandwich store, and there's the, there's a bathroom. And just as I'm getting ready to get get into the bathroom, an older gentleman, probably in his seventies, mm-hmm. gets in right before me. And mm-hmm. so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. He's in there for like 15 minutes. Oh. 
And that is why I finished over five hours. I would have finished under five hours, but, uh, but for that. Okay. So you didn't take the other marathon runner route, which is you just poop yourself while you're no. running. That was not going to be the goal. That was not going to be the goal. No. <laughs> okay. okay. I've heard of would a, have been a of... great story type two fun, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to do that. Definitely some type two fun right there as you're running and yeah. you're just covered in your own feces, which is yeah. different. Mm. Uh, well, have you run any more marathons since then, or are there any that you are looking forward to doing in the future? Yeah, I ran, I ran the LA marathon three times and failed to crack the five hour mark. And then I ran the San Diego rock and roll marathon last October, October, 2021. Mm -hmm. And, uh, whoever designed that course was a sadist because at like mile 20, you've got two miles straight up. It's, it's, wow. you know, there's, you're literally on, on a road that is going, it feels like a 45 degree angle for, for two, for a mile and a half and just a real morale crusher. But uh, you know, I, I credit this race and my success to it, uh, success on it to my, my Garmin uh, instinct. Because I was did you your watch when you said I your did, I did. It's my watch. It's a, a a running watch, and so it really helped me with my pace. Mm -hmm. Really keep control of my pace. And when and those portions of the race where I was just absolutely exhausted, you know, I would watch my mileage on my on my watch, and I would walk for you know a tenth of a mile, and then I'd run nine tenths of a mile, and then I'd walk for a tenth of a mile, and just keep that routine up. And I knew exactly where I was in terms of timing. And so mm -hmm. I actually thought about this on, on the way to work today. I don't know what, what made me think of it, but as I'm running down the, the straightaway, the final straightaway, mm -hmm. my oldest daughter, my family's there, my oldest daughter, the, the labor and delivery nurse, mm -hmm. she, I can hear her voice and she, she's yelling 458, 458. She knew exactly, you know, what my goal was and she knew, you know, what the time was, uh, that I was currently at. And I finished the race in, in 458. So she was excited about that. I was excited about that, that I kind of checked that box off, off the list. Okay. So now you, you run a sub five hour marathon then. Yes. At age 54. Okay. Is the next goal, um, I don't know what would be like sub 430 or is that, is that too much of a gap? Like 30 minutes. I don't know anything about running. The next goal is, is just half marathons. 26.2 is a long way to drive, let alone, let alone run. I think, I think now that I've, I've done the sub five. I think I'm content to just uh, settle on shorter races. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And those are still just as fun for you then? They are. They are. They're, it's always, it's an event. You know, it's it's the excitement and the energy from from all the runners. It's, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, I guess now moving on from running, how, how did you get into backpacking? When, when did that journey start for you? Yeah. So I was a high school principal and one of the guys I worked with, who's my assistant principal, Buddy, his name isn't Buddy, that's his, it's his trail name, Buddy. Uh, we did the John Muir Trail in 2000. I'm sorry, we we ran the marathon in 2014 and we finished the, the LA Marathon. And then we looked at each other and said, okay, now what do we do? Mm -hmm. And he, I think he was the one that suggested, hey, there's this, there's this thing called backpacking, through hiking. There is uh, a trail in the Sierras called the John Muir Trail. We should we should really do something like that. And so it was kind of out of the blue. I had no idea. I had never spent a whole lot of time thinking about that. And uh, we started doing some research and we got, we got permits to, uh, to do half of, 
of the John Muir Trail. We, we couldn't get away from our jobs for an extended period of time, but we could get away for enough time to do half of the John Muir Trail, about mm-hmm. 125 miles. And uh, that was that was an epic experience. Mm-hmm. Was So I guess that's also called section hiking, right? So do you want to describe a little bit about what that is and why that's really beneficial a lot of times for people if they can't do, you know, four or five months off to do a full through hike? Yeah. So, you know, through hiking is, is doing a trail from one, one terminus to the other terminus without stopping, right? You do, you do the full thing. Um, and then there's something called section hiking where you do a section of a trail, uh, over, you know, maybe over different summers. I always like to joke that if I, if I could section hike the Pacific crest trail, if I, if I just do a hundred miles a summer, I could get it done in 26 summers. So, uh, Kind of like that's a marathon, how, 26 summers, 26 miles. That's how big that thing is. Yeah, 2,600 miles, 26 summers, 100, 100 miles a summer. So section hiking, you can kind of break it up according to your schedule and what you're available for and, and do a section at a time. But by the time you're finished section hiking something, you will have put your your foot on the path of every mile of, of that particular trail. So that's what we did with the John Muir Trail. We section hiked it from 2015 to 2018. Uh, we had to battle some uh, issues with fires and permits and other stuff like that. Had, had to adjust on the fly, but we got it done. And, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun seeing all the different sections of of the John Muir Trail and, ex- and experiencing that with uh, different folks. Because our, our, our hiking parties kind of changed over time. At first, it was just me, Buddy, and Chopper. And then we, you know, I added my son on, on another one. Chopper added his son. Then we brought in some other friends, my cousin. Um, and so it's just really great to experience different parts with different people and and uh, see the amazing sights out there. What is one of your favorite parts about the JMT, Don? And how many times have you done each section at this point? So I've done uh, the southern half three times. So that's basically from Muir Trail Ranch down to, to Whitney and out Whitney Portal. Um, I've done the section from Red's Meadow to Tuolumne a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last section from Tuolumne to Happy Isles, I've done that just once. Um, I think you know, my I, I love life above the tree line. I think, you know, life at 10,000 feet and higher is just the the prettier, uh, prettier view, those high alpine lakes, the all the granite, the kind of the the desolation type feel. It just it strikes something in me. So those, those higher patches on the Southern half are, are really gorgeous, you know, going up and over Forrester, um, you know, up by Wanda Lake near, near Muir Pass, you know, those are just, just uh, fantastic sites. Okay. That's good to know. Would you ever consider doing, well, you talked about the PCT before, like, would you consider section hiking it in that way? Even section hiking. I mean, if you, if your goal is to eventually put foot on every every inch of that path from Mexico to Canada, I mean, to section hike it, you'd have to do hundreds of miles a summer. I, I don't know. We'll have to talk more when I when I retire. Maybe I'll have that kind of time when I retire. Mm-hmm. But right now, it doesn't seem like a a realistic or a, a an accomplishable goal at this point. Okay. Uh. Really- I really admire, I admire those people that do it. It takes a special type of person. And I, I, you know, I asked uh, one of my recent guests, I said, what does it take to be a through hiker? And she said, well, anybody, anybody can be a through hiker. Anybody can, can hike the, 
Pacific Crest Trail. I think that guess is me. Yeah, I think so. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. you know, you you you're just repeating the same thing day after day. And so if you can do it one day, it's just a matter of being able to repeat that over an extended period of time. And you can you can just uh, accomplish so much and cover so much ground that way. Mm-hmm. And you said that the JMT was the first backpacking trip you had ever done with your friends, right? That's a pretty intense, even if it's just like the Southern or Northern half, that's a really intense backpacking trip for it to be your first. How, what, what was it? Like what enticed you about it where you're like, yes, this is something that I want to do. Cause a lot of people, when they get on the trail and they, they still have a hundred miles to go and they're only 25 in, it's like, I, I don't know if I can do this. What, what was it for you? Well, I think, I think first of all, on every trip I've ever taken, every backpacking trip I've ever taken, there's been that first day, that first afternoon where I'm like, what in the hell am I doing out here? This is, this is killing me. I, there's no way I can do this. And then you kind of get your legs underneath you and you settle in and you get into a a pattern and and you get it done. But I think, I think we really um, benefited from beginner's luck on that first trip because we, we took out the gear. And we tested it overnight at the KOA in Acton, Agua Dulce, where the Pacific, the Pacific Trail goes through there. That's, that's really close to where we live. And so we wanted to try out all the gear, you know, the stove, tents, all that stuff. We, we did a little hike on the, the day after that. But um, other than that, we had never spent, I had never spent a night uh, on a backpacking trip in a tent before. And so we, we did this 2015 trip. We did 125 miles. Um started at Florence Lake, uh, took the ferry over Florence Lake, and then made our way onto the, the John Muir Trail about five miles past Florence Lake, hooked up with the John Muir Trail right around Muir Trail Ranch and headed south and just had uh, an incredible time. I mean, so many memorable memorable moments on that trip, just the the beauty. And I think I think I've said it before on, on the podcast when I've been talking to guests that you know, some of the most beautiful sights come at the end of such um, – heavy climbs or, you know, taxing days. And I think the exhaustion and and the knowledge that you had to put in that kind of work to get to this place and see this site, I think makes that site even, even sweeter. So definitely. I think that's something a lot of backpackers that they feel when you, when you've gone those like 10, 15 miles day, 15 mile days, and you get to see something absolutely amazing and can't buy it and spend the night by it. It's something, something really special about it for sure. Uh, what was one of the most memorable things that like the thing that sticks out from your first backpacking trip ever? You're like, this, this is it. This was interesting. So we had, there was a 24 hour time period where the weather just went nuts on us. Mm-hmm. And so it, it started off, we, we were, I think we camped at upper Vidette, uh, spent the night there and we got up the next morning and skies were blue, sun was shining and we're heading up to Forrester pass. Mm-hmm. And it's a long approach to Forrester pass. I mean, you're going to 13,200 feet. It's probably a, I don't know, a five to six mile approach. You're just going up, 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 up. And we did a significant climb that significant climb that morning and we're getting close and the weather turns. It gets dark. It gets gray. There are clouds rolling over the, over the pass. Mm -hmm. I'm like, holy smoke. So we put on our jackets and uh, we keep going. I mean, we're, we're, we're about a half a mile from the top and all of a sudden it, it, uh, it, it starts raining and the wind is blowing like 35 miles an hour. 
what does that sound like when it's like 35 like can you hear anything at all at that point so the wind is whipping you know you got your hood on uh from your jacket it's it's flapping in your face you can't feel your hands i don't think i had gloves that trip i couldn't feel my hands on my poles it was like painful Mm -hmm. Uh, it was so cold it was painful and we're looking at each other half mile from the top and we're thinking holy smokes what what have we gotten ourselves into this is crazy and then as we get closer, you start to hear, you know, lightning strikes uh, off in the distance, but they seem to be getting closer. And I'm thinking, I've got two metal poles in my hand at 13,000 feet with lightning in the air. This this can't be a good thing. What are we what are we doing? It almost seems like type three fun. Like I'm about to die right now. Yes. And so we we get up over the pass and uh, head down, and it's it's raining pretty good at this point. In fact, I don't know if you have you been on the the John Muir Trail. I've done uh, a... coming down Forrester, mm, not coming down Forrester. Okay. So it's, it's, it, you know, you got these sheer drop-offs on, on the trail coming down South of Forrester and you're on these switchbacks and there's water. It's basically a stream running down the path. That's where the water collects. It's just running down the path. It's like you're walking on a stream on the side of a mountain mm-hmm. uh, with, you know, 500 foot drop-offs uh, to your side there. And so, you know, we're freezing, teeth are chattering. I think we're borderline hypothermic and we get down to the bottom. And to this point, you know, we had our rain jackets on, but I had not put on, I I had rain pants that were in my bag. You know, of course I hadn't put on the rain pants. I'm just in my shorts and I'm freezing. And I tell the guys, I said, Hey, I've got to, I got to take a break. I I need to put on my rain pants. And so chopper, he says, I got to keep moving or I'm going to, I'm going to pass out. So he, he keeps charging on buddies they're hanging out with me i get the rain pants out of my out of my bag and i don't want to take off my boots because i'm wearing boots at this point not even trailers wearing boots my my feet are killing me mm-hmm. um I, I pull on the rain pants and as i go to stand up I, you know sitting down i pull on the rain pants as i go to stand up i realize that i put on the rain pants backwards oh, no. so i you know I scream some some choice words because I'm freezing as all this is happening. Mm-hmm. And I sit down, I take off my rain pants and I put them on the other way and I pull them up and I realize that I had them on the right way the first time. Now they're on backwards. Mm-hmm. Oh God, you must have been so tired after I was all. Tired. I was tired. Yeah, I couldn't think straight. I was angry. I was screaming at the sky. Mm-hmm. And uh, finally I get them on correctly and uh continue the march down to get under some trees and and try and wait out the storm but so that was the first part of the type two fun the rest of that day we dried out in the trees uh sun came out it was beautiful and we camped down to we we hiked down to tyndall frog ponds Mm -hmm. and set up camp there and uh again it was blue skies i mean not a cloud in sight and i actually wonder i debated on whether or not i should put a rain fly on and i did i did just in case and about nine o'clock that night we're in our tents Mm -hmm. and it starts raining Mm -hmm. and it starts pouring and the lightning you know there'd be a flash of lightning and Mm -hmm. we'd wait 30 seconds and and then we'd hear the the rumble of the thunder Mm -hmm. and then it'd be 25 seconds off and then it'd be 20 and then 10 seconds Mm -hmm. and then pretty soon probably about three in the morning there would be a flash of light and an immediate uh crack of thunder it was like right on top of us i mean it was all night long i think we got probably i don't know half an hour of sleep that night because it just there was it was so loud and so the downpour was so heavy 
And we got up the next morning and Buddy ran, went to the, I think the Tyndall Creek uh, Ranger Station and talked to the ranger there who was out checking on people. And she said that she'd been in, in at that, you know, doing backcountry rangering the last 15 years and had never seen a storm like that. It was like the, the storm of the century at that point. So oh. storm of the 21st century since it was 2015. So that's crazy. Those summer storms are pretty common right and sierras mm-hmm. i've heard that there are like insane insane weather things like that during during the summer time of the year where you know there's just sheets and sheets of like pouring cold ice rain that like doesn't stop for hours and then it stops and it's blue skies for 45 minutes to three hours and everyone thinks it's okay and then like 20 minutes later it's just consistent rain for hours yeah, don't don't just assume that just because the sky is blue, it's gonna it's gonna stay that way overnight mm-hmm. or even later in the afternoon. It can it can change on a dime. Yeah, and even after that, there was no consideration of hiking out. You were like, yes, we're gonna we're gonna keep on going, and this is this is the type of coupon we're looking for. Well, I think we looked at each other and we thought about, uh, holy cow, this is this this last twenty four hours has not been a whole lot of fun. But really, there's only one direction to go. I mean, there's no there's no bailout point that is. Of, of any real possibility we just had to keep on going okay what mile was this in your in your total trip at this point this was like uh about the 100 mile mark oh okay yeah okay. you were close you're close to the end 25 more miles close. Yep. until you were there mm-hmm. the jmt has been a big part of your life then for mm-hmm. the last few years you've been yeah you've been a lot I, I think i've spent uh almost every summer there's been a time where i've been in the sierras so that's been a lot of fun yeah, and and that's the name too. That's the name of the podcast. Is that is that what I, I'm assuming? That's the reason why you named it the John Frickin Miripod because of the JMT. Yeah, that's a, that's another story all to itself. There, okay. it is really a little bit convoluted. Um, mm. It has to do with a a a Twitter account that I created to kind of uh, spoof my son and and play a joke on him, and it was it was blank freaking blank. And one of my assistant principals at the time, um, when we were doing this, traveling into the Sierras and this backpacking, she says, oh, you, 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 you know, you should be known as John freaking mirror, you know, kind of a play off the, the former Twitter name. And so that's kind of where it came from. Got it. I love the, you seem like a fun dad. The fact that you're trying to spoof your son by making a fake Twitter account. I don't know very many fathers who are technologically sound enough to do that to their kids where they're trying to get them in that way i know just enough technology to get me in trouble so okay that's that's good knowing just enough to get in trouble is how to do it in the fun way yeah right Uh, technology fun technology fun exactly and recently you did the high sierra trail right yeah this past summer just a few months ago um went with Chopper and Buddy and Big E and we did the High Sierra Trail. And that was a lot of fun too. I, I planned that trip. We left from Crescent Meadow and instead of going out over Whitney, which is a typical traditional end to the High Sierra Trail, we we had done that the last couple of summers mm-hmm. uh, with the John Muir Trail. So we decided to go out through Cottonwood Pass. Okay. Can you so, orient us a little bit? So where is, I've, I've never actually heard of the High Sierra Trail. So okay. Where is- okay. So John Muir Trail, you know, goes kind of North South, right? It goes from Whitney to Happy Isles. Mm-hmm. Mount Whitney to Happy Isles in Yosemite. Mm-hmm. Um, and the High Sierra Trail goes east-west over the Sierras. Okay. So you start in Sequoia at Crescent Meadow and you you go east um, 
through Hamilton Lakes and then up over Kauai Pass. And uh, then it intersects, kind of jogs around and it intersects actually with the JMT and the PCT. And you could go from that intersection up to, to Whitney and finish the High Sierra Trail. We mm -hmm. actually continued south and went went out Cottonwood Pass, which is also a kind of an eastern uh, pass on the, in the Sierras. Mm -hmm. and and how was that trip what 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 was the most memorable moment from that one uh the memorable moment for that one is i had planned on a six-day trip we, we mapped out the mileage and then chopper said hey do you mind if we try and do it in five days and i said okay yeah we can we can see how it goes see, see what kind of miles you make we can try five days and then like two days into the into the hike I realized that they only brought provisions for, for five days and that big E had to be back on day five. And so there was no option of, okay, it's either five or it's six. It was, it was five at that point. Uh, it was, it was an, an awesome trip. There were really no, no big mishaps or anything. The, the temperature and the, the weather played, played nice with us and just, just saw a lot of great things out there. Yeah. I think one of um, a pretty famous climber named Cedar Wright, there's this quote that he said before, and I always loved it, which is how lucky we are to electively suffer like this, you know, to put our bodies through so much pain, but at the same time, experience and look at the most beautiful things that a lot of people can't access because you have to hike 30, 40 miles sometimes into the back country to get to see something like that. So I always think that's pretty cool that we're able to do that. That might be the quote that you start out with on, uh, on, on start this podcast out with the the Cedar Wright uh, quote about electively suffering. Yeah, maybe that that would be a good intro for sure. Yeah, yeah I never thought of that. I've always wanted to say that in a podcast form, just because I was watching climbing videos when I was younger, and that that always stuck out to me because I think a big part of the nature stuff is just the suffering, but for a good reason. Mm -hmm. Do you do you think that there's something about endurance type things that you really like you know marathon running backpacking they're all pretty long like long distance long-term things is it something about endurance that you enjoy in any way i do i think it's it's probably two or threefold uh reasons for that one is i like being in a state of fitness that uh, you're able to do stuff like that right mm -hmm. it kind of it kind of says okay i'm healthy you know, so there's that. There's also, um, I think the angle of I'm getting older and, you know, I'm, I just turned 55. And so to be able to still do these types of things that kind of says, okay, I, I'm, I'm staving off old age. I'm, I'm not, I'm not old yet. I mean, I'm still able to do this kind of things. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think just, uh, you know, the sense of accomplishment, the, the, the way you feel physically, uh, emotionally after you do something like that, I think is, is just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And is there any other fun things then for you in the future and for the podcast itself, any episodes or trips that you're looking forward to? I would love to go over to Europe and, um, mm -hmm. you know, my wife and I are talking about doing Switzerland maybe, mm -hmm. and seeing some of the amazing mountains and, uh, sites out there. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, maybe talking about doing an Italy slash Switzerland trip next summer. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll see if we can pull that off. Uh, for the podcast, we're kind of t at the end of season four. We're coming up on episode 200 eventually here in a, a few short weeks, which is pretty exciting to me. You know, I, if you'd asked me at the beginning 
how far, how long this would go. Would, would, would I have even dreamed of having 200 episodes? I, I said, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been a lot of fun. I feel like I have friends all over the world from, you know, the different guests that I've had on and the things that we've talked about and we still stay in touch on, on social media and email. So that's been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that. And we'll, we'll see what, what season five holds. And, you know, now that I've got an intern, maybe we can keep doing this for a while. Oh, who knows? I mean, I've loved it so far. It's been really exciting to to get a little bit into what it means to create a podcast, especially a podcast like this, which is, I think you and I both, we love the outdoors a lot. So being able to experiencing it, experience it both out there and in here is, is pretty exciting. Agreed. Okay, so next is the pro tip insight of the week. The pro tip insight of the week. Thank you for that one. So <laughs> there you have it. And that's it. Um, this episode's just about finished now. But want, I hope you I want to hear my pro tip. Yes, I do. I do want to hear a pro tip. Okay. So pro tip is time for some trail wisdom for our listeners. And I think I think I have a pro tip that not only applies to hiking, but applies to life. I've said it a couple of times on, on various episodes, but I think the key to life and hiking uh, is staying in the moment. I think, you know, when you're a kid, you're always looking forward. You can't wait till you're in high school. You can't wait till you drive. You can't wait till you go to college. You can't wait uh, until you vote. Uh, who am I going to be married to? What's my career going to be? You're always looking to the future. You know, what? when's this going to happen? And then at some point in your life, you start, you start uh, looking backwards. Lupin, I know you talked about later in life coming on to things, but... <laughs> You haven't gotten there yet. At some mm-hmm. point, you're gonna you're gonna look backwards and you're gonna remember the good old days. And do you remember when? And wasn't it fun when we did this? Mm-hmm. And nobody ever tells you. So I'm telling you right now, nobody ever tells you. Stop looking ahead. Stop looking back. Look at this moment. This mm-hmm. moment right now. Enjoy this moment with the people you're with, the things you're doing. Experience it. Don't don't uh, let it slip by unnoticed. Mm-hmm. enjoy the moment. I think that applies to uh, out there in the wilderness, not thinking about, okay, when's the trip going to be over? When am I going to get to this point? Enjoy, enjoy the pass you're going over right now. Enjoy the, the, the lake that you're, you're swimming in uh, and don't, don't look backward. Don't look forward. Enjoy the moment, stay in the moment. Mm-hmm. And how, how do you think our listeners can do that best then? Like when life is hard, when when the trail doesn't seem like it's going to end, when you're just really stuck in that moment and the when is this going to be over or or what is it going to be like in the future? How, how do you think we do it then to stay in it? Well, I think attitude's a choice. I mean, you have glass, glass half empty, glass half full. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to choose how you approach a particular hardship. Uh, particular moment. I think it, it all depends on your attitude. Attitude is everything. Mm-hmm. And if you put a positive spin on it, if you reframe it from, oh my gosh, how much longer I'm going to be out here to, you know, look around, uh, see what you're experiencing right now. See what other people don't have the chance to see because they haven't put in the the work that you've put in. Mm-hmm. I think if you kind of reframe it and, you know, the, the tagline of the podcast, embrace the suck, you know, lean into it, enjoy it, you know, realize that, you know, okay, I'm feeling this way, but I'm going to, I'm going to soak it up and I'm going to try and enjoy it as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And thank you for that. I'm definitely going to try to keep that in mind as, as life gets a little bit more difficult and things get a little bit harder sometimes. 
But there we have it. That's it. This episode's just about in the books. And I hope our listeners enjoyed listening to Doc today and hearing about all of his stories and the things that he's done being on the other side of the podcast. And I also want to thank you for letting me do this today. It was kind of a last minute thing when you were interviewing me. I was like, oh, this would be such a cool idea if we had you on the other side. So thanks for taking me in and and letting me torture you for about an hour and ask you about all the other questions um, and, and, you know, listen to everything that you've done. Uh, Doc, is there any way that the listeners can keep up with you on social media and find updates on your adventures? Absolutely. And I first want to say that you've done a, a fantastic job, Lupin. You've done you've done a great job behind the mic. You've asked the right questions. You've, you've done some great follow-up questions. You've allowed me to speak and tell stories without interrupting. And so you, you, you've, got, you've got a future in this. Nice job. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, the podcast is on we've, we're on, we've got a Facebook page, we're on YouTube, um, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, uh, all all some variation of John freaking Muir uh, or John freaking Muir pod. There's no G in freaking, it's just F-R-E-A-K-I-N. So John freaking Muir, you can find us on those platforms. And we can find updates about you too on that as well, right? Occasionally, yes. Yep. Okay. And do you have any final comments or shout outs to family or people that have made an impact with your backpacking career? Well, before we get to that, I was going to, uh, I had prepared the adventure media recommendation, some, some adventure media for you. And I thought, you know, what, what, what can I, what can I recommend to people out there that we haven't already talked about on the podcast? Because there are so many good things out there. We've all heard about, you know, um, Free Solo and the Dawn Wall and Valley Uprising and 14 Peaks and, you know, wild um, uh, uh, hike in the woods or was that, was that Bryson's book? Hike in the woods, walk, a walk in the woods, a walk in the woods. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm, instead of doing something traditional like that, I'm going to kind of, since we're talking about me, we're talking about the podcast. I was going to, I was going to list uh, maybe five episodes to listen to in our back catalog mm-hmm. uh, to really kind of get some some different experiences from from some pretty cool people out there. So mm-hmm. I think uh, Ginger Balls has been on the podcast at least three times. I think he's got a fourth one coming up. Any one of his episodes, he's he's a, a very cool guy to talk to. A lot of good stories, uh, down to earth, funny, funny man. He's a retired lieutenant commander in the Navy who decided that he would take up long distance hiking. He's now a triple crowner. So lots of good stories there. Um, I had a really good time talking to Wesley Tills, who that episode is, is uh, I named the runaway missionary because he was a Mormon missionary who decided that the missionary life wasn't for him. And he was looking for a sign from God as to what to do. And his eyes fell on this map and on the map was the PCT. And so he actually ran away from his, his mission to start living on the trail. Uh, just a, a great story. And the way he tells it is, is hilarious. Um, so that's two, that's two people, ginger balls and runaway missionary, Wesley Tills. Uh, third one would be Gre- Brett Gravelin, who's an adventure racer. Uh, just a very down to earth guy who tells this amazing story of this multifaceted race in Fiji uh, known as um, the Eco Challenge, it was it was broadcast on Amazon, Amazon Prime, and just a, a heroic and a heartbreaking story 
uh, to hear him tell. So Brett Gravelin, that's a great episode. Eric Larson is the fourth one I would I would recommend. Eric Larson is the only man on the planet to ever uh, stand at the South Pole, the North Pole, and the top of Everest in the same calendar year. No one's ever done that before or since. So uh, he he takes us through blow by blow his final ascent that last day to the top of Everest, and it felt like I was on on Everest with him as he was describing it. So give that a listen. And then I would be remiss if I left out uh, one of the all-time badasses that I've ever interviewed on the podcast, Lael Wilcox, a long-distance competitive bike racer who in her first uh, official competitive race won the Trans Am, the Trans-American race, where they left from Oregon and they ended up in Virginia and she she beat out all competitors, male or female. Mm-hmm. Uh, she caught she caught the uh, the European favorite from France about a hundred miles from the from the finish line, and just left him in her rearview mirror. Uh, just an incredible, incredible person, incredible stories. So there you go. I would recommend you take a, a cruise through the back catalog. Lots of of really interesting people and great stories. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we'll, we'll have that hopefully like listed below your episode, just the ones that you really remembered after almost 200, right? You said that we're nearing 200 episodes at this point. Yeah. And don't be offended if I didn't list your episode, if you're listening in, if you're a former guest and you're listening in and he's like, you're like, Oh, doc didn't list, list my episode. All everybody I've talked to have, they've been great, really interesting people, but these, these five really just stand out just a little bit. So Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's good to know then. We'll have to keep those in mind and I'll have to listen to those episodes too. I don't think I listened to any of them. Uh, I wanted to point out just one thing too. When you email or DM uh, any of the John Frickin Muir various social media sites that we have, like Doc is the person that's behind all of that. That's how I got in contact with him. I emailed him on the website and he responded back in I think 24 hours or so. So if you ever want to get not to speak for you, Doc, but like if you're ever trying to get into contact with with Doc or the John Freaking Pod, like Doc is the person who's reading all of that and and seeing what you're writing to him. So it's not it, unlike a lot of other podcasts and media sites and things like that. You're not entering the void. You know, there's like very much a person behind the screen that we got to learn a little bit more about today. Um, but he's there. He's there. And he's listening and he's responding. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess then the final thing is, do you have any shout outs to friends or family? Oh, just a, a big shout out to intern Angela, uh, to my hiking buddies, Chopper and Buddy, uh, Jukebox, Big E, uh, Half Calf, uh, my oldest daughter who doesn't have a trail name, and uh, Mrs. Doc, of course, for putting up with all my shenanigans over the years. So, mm-hmm. and oh, my, my biggest fan. My biggest fan, of course, is uh, the mother of Doc. She she listens to most every most every episode. So, okay. Well, thank you so much, Doc, for coming in today and listening. Uh, and it wouldn't be a JFM episode without our classic sign off. So, Doc, would you would you finish it off, finish us off, please? Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're so tired and cold, you don't know how to put on your pants the right way. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.
fisher where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.